0: The basics of a life are there. I had so much fun preparing for this because I love relationships The people that know me know that I love relationships real ones the ones where you can get a phone call in the middle of the day or the night and everybody drops everything and find and you go and do whatever needs to be done those kinds of relationships where you put yourself out for other people and notice that I'm not necessarily saying that they put themselves out for me I know that will happen But that I have people in my life that I value to such a degree, I love that we talked about value this morning, that I will make sacrifices for their lives. I love that. And in the classes that Caleb mentioned that are in the next three weeks on Wednesday nights at six, this is the last portion of this grouping that we've been doing at the end of this year. And we'll take a break then all the way through the holidays and probably have some more Midwinter, somewhere in February ish, probably we'll start back. But we're going to talk about what it means to lead relationally and what it means to live relationally. And for those of you that have been attending those classes, you know that a few of us here attend them because they're kind of leadership oriented, although they're really just growth and God oriented, if you really want to look at it that way. But we also put those on, on, our, on a private Facebook page for people all over the world that tune in. And I don't say that lightly. People from Mexico, people from Sweden, people from Africa can tune in and hear mostly Glenn, Pastor Glenn, my dad teach, but whoever then needs to fill in for him if he's on the road, teach about how to lead, how to pastor effectively, how to have a great relationship with God. And you really don't want to miss these next three if you've been coming to those and have any interest at all. We're going to do a different um, format this coming Wednesday because of a lot of the study I've been doing on Jesus as a relational man and the study Dad's been doing on Paul. And then having Rafa here and the study he's done, we're going to tag team Wednesday. We're going to spend a little bit more time probably than the hour. We may spend 90 minutes on it. And then in the next, we're going to basically over those three weeks, we're going to pack about four weeks worth of teaching into that. So it'll be fun. I think it'll be a lot of fun if you guys want to come in and hang out 6 o'clock to about 730 here in the building, and on the Call to Him Facebook page. If you don't have access to that, hit me up after church. I can make sure you do. All right, for today, I had so much fun researching kind of more nitty-gritty details about how Jesus approached relationships, because we, we all hear the Bible stories. We see the parables. We, we know he had the 12 disciples, and he had the crowds around him. He was birthed to a human mom and dad. We know all this stuff, but how did it really play out, and how did some of the history move together? Well, first of all, I kind of looked at the word relationship as we see it today, and when you look in the dictionary, it talks about the state of being connected by blood or marriage. It also says the way in which two or more people or groups regard and behave toward each other. That's the one I want to really focus in on, that side of that definition. Because as in most things that we do, in most areas that we want to pattern our lives after, Jesus is our example. We can look back and see what to do. And I got to dig in. What was life like when he was growing up? We're coming into the holiday season here soon. We're going to be, you know, really focusing in on that time of his birth focusing in on him joining us here on earth for a time. And I looked at the the city of Nazareth, where he actually spent a little bit of time as a child. And it's interesting because archaeological research shows that Nazareth was pretty tiny. It had a population of between, around that time, between 120 to 150 people, at the very most 400. Not very many at all. And from what they've discovered, all of those people were pretty much related to each other. Records hidden. (laughs) I hear chuckles back there. Yeah. Records were hidden in that time and survived. That it was just one arm, one large clan from the lineage of David. Makes sense, right? I mean, that's what we know of Jesus. But the whole town knew each other. And so as a child, Jesus growing up, he knew all these people. All these people knew him. So think about it, that time it talks about in the, in the synagogue when he kind of stood up and announced that he's the Messiah, and it wasn't taken very well. Those were aunts, uncles, cousins. Maybe even the cousins that he had pushed in the river a couple of times or, you know, tussled with growing up. I mean, imagine what it'd be like if you stood up and made a declaration like that to some of your family. Think of some of the declarations you have made to your family and you kind of get this, (laughs) really? Well, we support you in whatever you think is, is good, okay. And behind your back, you know, you can see them rolling their eyes a little bit. Yeah. And they even have historical accounts that show that there was one public bath for that whole place. So think about that too they really knew each other <laughs> they knew each other well so all in all we can be assured that the whole time growing up well in the in the childhood time that he was in Nazareth relationships were everywhere literally genetic relationships were everywhere around him and from the time he was a small child on up to about 12 there's really not a lot written in the scriptures that tell us details about his childhood, but we can glean quite a bit from historical accounts and from what is written. Look at Luke 2.40. He gives us a summary that seems to encapsulate all that time up to 12 years of age. It says, the child continued to grow, and by the child they're referring to Jesus, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now I studied a little bit on that word wisdom because I have this Greek Hebrew study Bible that I find very interesting and it was underlined. I thought, hmm, let me see what what the root word meant on that one. And it was excellent. That when it says he's increasing in wisdom, it actually means increasing in the ability to regulate one's relationship with God. Wow. He wasn't just gaining experience from living life, although that's part of it. But he was gaining and increasing the ability to regulate his relationship with God. As a child on this earth. He was going about life as other kids would. He saw relationships, he saw families, he saw people working. He saw people going about daily life, cooking, cleaning, how those dynamics worked. He, they're able to look at the fact that there was a lot of vineyards in that area. He saw vineyards. He saw winemaking. He saw fields being sold, sowed, excuse me. He saw people that lived in poverty. He saw people that lived with more than enough. People that needed healing. Sounds kind of familiar, right? It all showed up in a lot of his parables. Yeah. And at 12, there's that story about Mary and Joseph heading home and suddenly realizing that Jesus isn't there with them. And they're they're completely out of town by now. They've left Jerusalem and headed home. And they panic. And you think about, well... Growing up in Mary and Joseph's home, you knew, according to the time, that he was probably taught the correct law, Levitical law for the time. He was taught how wonderful living life was, all of the Jewish stuff. He was taught that he was born special and that he had a calling and that his father was really God and all this stuff, right? Knowing that, Mary and Joseph still panic. They're like, oh my goodness, what happened to this kid? God gave him to us, and we lost him. (laughs) And they find him in the temple, and he just kind of shrugs it off, like, don't you know I'm going about my father's business? I'm teaching. Because he's 12, even though he has a lot more wisdom, he's 12, and he's like, why are you freaking out? I'm right here. But we watch, and later he really does grow physically and emotionally and spiritually and with that wisdom. And he learns that, okay, the human condition, I understand those feelings that people have towards things. He would probably be a lot more understanding about Mary and Joseph feeling that fear and anxiety about their child not being with them when they thought they should. Because he was growing in his ability to regulate his relationship with God. And as we've learned, that also means growing in his relationship with man. Because that's why we were created, right? God wanted that relationship. Relationship is what it's all about. So if I'm going to grow in my ability to regulate my relationship with him, then I'm growing in my ability to regulate my relationship with those who are around me. He learned to empathize with what others are experiencing. He learned what it means to take care of relationships and to make sure that parameters are set when necessary. When we look at his ministry, he could have hundreds of people before him and he might, at least documented, perform a couple of healings. There were probably many more in that group that needed it. What the distinction was between them, I can't say. But he knew how to set parameters and how to regulate between him and God what his priorities were at the time. A really good example of how he grew to not just shrug off things that his parents went through and those in relationship around him went through is his mom. Let's go to the time when Jesus is dying on the cross. We have read and heard many, many times, especially those of us who pay a closer attention around the Easter, how difficult the time leading up to and Jesus' crucifixion was for him. How excruciating the pain. How horrible it was to be judged like he was and to be derided and and to be spit on when he knew who he was. And yet, Hanging on that cross, knowing full of pain, unable to breathe properly, blood draining from his body. He, he does this. John 19, 26, and 27. When Jesus saw his mother there at the foot of that cross, and the disciple whom he loved, who is John, the writer of this. Standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. He was saying, look, I know what it's going to be like for her as I die. And even though I know I'm going to be resurrected again, I will ascend into heaven and she will not see me every day. She will not know that I'm on this earth. You are now her son. You are now his mother. He's nearing death, death. The agony is intense. He's even asked God to forgive the other two hanging on the cross. He said, Lord, forgive the people that put me here. They don't know what I'm doing, what they're doing to me. And among all that, he's taking care of Relationships. When his natural body is screaming for him to just give it up, he's making sure people are taken care of. And John had learned over the course of the years what it was to live in relationship. He understood. And you can tell he fulfilled what Jesus asked him to do, pretty much commanded him to do from the cross because he had the relationship with him to do that. Not just the fact that he was God, but the fact that he had that relationship with John. Because later on, we could see that you know Mary was there. She was at John's house when she heard news of Jesus' resurrection. She was there for the, in the upper room for the day of Pentecost. So it was very obvious that her life became integrated with John's and his family, just like Jesus asked, just like Jesus said. He had learned what that meant. Where family relationships are concerned, you can look at the things that Jesus said, look at the way he lived, and try to reconcile those to some degree. And this, this particular one can be a hang-up for us, because we look at Matthew 8, 21. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. He was being asked to come and follow Jesus. And he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Sounds kind of unfeeling. It doesn't seem to line up with the teachings and the various parables and things that he's taught up to this time, even what he is demonstrating with his own life. But you've got to really look at what this was about. Historians and theologians alike have researched this, and they've looked at it, and they said, it can't mean that he actually had a dead father he needed to go bury. And here's why. Because it would have been Levitical law during that time that they would have buried his father within just a few hours. And it would require that he as the son could not be out in public if that had happened recent enough that he needed to literally go bury his dad. And when you look at the root of that word dead, both of the times it's used there, what it's actually saying is it's referring to the spiritually dead. So instead of Jesus saying, oh, Your dad died, whatever, just let the dead bury the dead. Don't worry about him. He saw right through it and knew it was an excuse that that person was coming up with saying, look, give me some time. You know, I'll go home. I'll live comfortably for a while, weeks, months, maybe even years, and then I'll catch up with you later. I'll do this thing that you're asking me to do, but on my time schedule. And Jesus was great at cutting through all the nonsense, wasn't he? (laughs) He just cut right to the heart of it, and he said he just took away his excuses. Because figuratively, when that word is used, that it means spiritually dead, he essentially was saying, let no lesser duty keep you from the one great duty of following me. He's saying, don't go back to people that are spiritually dead And then become spiritually dead yourself. That's a duty, but it's a lesser duty to the one of following me. And I feel like as I looked through things and as I in my remembrance of reading through scriptures, you know, there were quite a few times that Jesus placed little importance on death itself and a dead body itself, but he did not disrespect family. And so when you run up against something like that and you think it doesn't jive, find out why. And it's so much more interesting when you come down to it and you realize he's just saying, look, put away the excuses and come on, let's go do this. When Jesus, when it was time for him to start his ministry, we know that there was about three and a half years in which he actually practiced ministry before his death and ascension. And it doesn't seem very long when you really think about it. He had a lot of work to do in that amount of time. I'm going to read a few scripture, a few verses here, just to build this up so we can talk about it just a little bit. Look in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John had been taken into custody, had been arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I read all of that for this reason— Notice the progression. He receives the stamp of approval and authority from God over his life at baptism, who, by the way, since we're talking relationships, John the Baptist was his cousin. So there again, he had just gotten that, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit takes him into the wilderness to solidify his own knowledge of his loyalty, his authority, and his strength in God. And then he heads out preaching the gospel and makes his first priority, gathering people around him for relationship. Because he came from the deepest, most pure relationship there is. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. When you look at that, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then he was given the opportunity to have the kinds of relationships we have here on earth in addition to that. And then he left that so that we also have those relationships, all of it, available to us. He showed us how to have that same access to relationships. Now, I'm not going to get into this very deeply, but if John will put up that slide with the relationships on it, this is what they call a summary of Jesus' relationships during his time here on earth. And you can't read all of it, but it gives you an idea of just how intertwined all of the different factions that Jesus' life touched, along with the people that were involved within that, and then how their lives touched within each other in concentric circles, as well as touched people that may have never even heard of Jesus. And I found it very interesting that it is not an easy chart, even though it's a summary, (laughs) And most of us would have a life kind of like this, if we really sat down and tried to pencil it in. The lines would not be easy to look at because of how our lives circle with each other here, with the people at work, with people in our community, with the lady at Hy-Vee, with the lady at the gas pump, who is at the gas station, I guess, who is having a terrible day and needs time and just needs to be ministered to and touched, we have no idea how many more concentric circles that touches. Even if I'm referring to a specific time in which Mary was able to minister to a woman. She may never see this woman again. Who knows? She has Mary's number. She may never see her her again. But she knows that she touched something in Mary, and that will touch something in others. And you look at the disciples... In those verses we just talked about, he was talking with Simon and Andrew, James and John, two sets of brothers. There's no mention that they didn't know who he was, that he needed to introduce himself in any way when he walked up there. He said, hey, it's time to go do this. And remember what we said about Nazareth and how small it was and how everybody knew each other? Well, Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee, really, if you look at it geographically, not very far away from each other. So it's likely that Jesus knew many, if not all, of his disciples before he ever called them. He knew their families. He knew how they were raised. He knew that God had placed his hand upon them to be a part of what Jesus was going to teach them and how they were going to work together with him. He may not have had close relationships with them, but he knew enough to know that they should be working alongside him and learning how to continue the work after he ascended. In Mark 3, verse 13, it says, And he went up to the mountain, and he summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him, and he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons from among the crowds of people that he had been interacting with. He narrowed it down to the number that he could work with, the people he knew he could work with, those he knew would continue to preach the gospel. But it wasn't an automatic passing of the mantle. That's what we like if we feel like we're going to go do something. Oh, I'm good. I'll just go do it. It wasn't just a blessing and a prayer and go forth and do this wonderful thing. It was the beginning of that part in that scripture that says, so they would be with him and he could send, him, send them. They were signing up for life right along beside him. They were signing up to not have a spot to call home each night. They were signing up to walk along dusty roads for days at a time. To be disbelieved and thought to be crazy because they believed he was the Messiah. To sit around the fire enjoying a good joke. (laughs) To watch in amazement as Jesus taught people, healed people, and cast out demons. To realize as each day passed that they could do those things also. To love Jesus as not just God himself, but as the man they have lived life with and had amazing experiences with. That's what they were signing up for. They spent those three and a half years in such a close relationship, doing what it took to be friends, ministers, healers, preachers, teachers. And then Jesus says in John 13:34, "A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." And they find out that he's going to move on without them eventually in the physical sense. But he makes it clear that the way to continue having that same relationship with them that they've had for these years and have access to that Father-Son and Holy Spirit relationship is to love one another as he showed them how. Because again, the very purpose of, of creation is relationship. Why else are we here to do this? So, how then can we ignore that aspect of what Jesus showed us to do? How then can we reconcile for ourselves that I can just spend all my time with just me? It's a lot easier. I don't have to deal with all the mess. Because the mission, that word we like to refer to, what mission do we have here? It's about relationship. Because God is seeking to bring us into relationship and once we're there, to bring others into relationship. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He brought them into relationship knowing that they then would bring others into relationship, knowing that they would bring others into relationship. And it becomes this massive stone in the pond, so to speak, with the ripple effect that is continuing today. I found a concept interesting. In America, here in the United States of America, when we have a problem, a lot of times we think, what do I need to do to fix the problem? It's pretty much first thing we go to. I know I do. But I found out that in China, for the most part, the Chinese have a completely different method. They instead asked, what are the relationships I need to put into place to fix this problem? And it brings into sharp contrast the fact that we look at a problem as like a task that needs to be accomplished a lot of times. But their view towards it is if there is something wrong, there must be something wrong with my relationships. Or I'm missing a relationship with someone who could make this not a problem. And so they don't have the right relationships in place to solve it. And when I think about it, I look at it and I think, isn't that exactly what Jesus shows us? Most of the time when people would toss a problem at him and he would come back with a parable, that parable had something to do with relationships. And it... If on the surface, sometimes you looked at it and thought, that's not even answering the question they asked. True. At times, he was helping them understand, this is how your question should have looked. I'm not just going to answer your question. I'm going to help shift your view. When the world was perishing in its sins, God brought his relationship to us to show us how it could be fixed. He took his very son, gave him to us to pay for that debt. He sacrificed him so that we could live in that relationship with no guilt, no shame, absolutely nothing separating us. What are the relationships I need to put in place to fix the problem? I found myself asking myself this question and I think we all should. Whatever problem it is you're facing, whatever pops into your head when you think about that because there's usually at least one thing that seems to be paramount in our mind at any given time that's something you're holding before God. Hopefully not trying to fix yourself, but asking God, what do I need to do here? What are the relationships that I need to put into place? My family's not working like I think it should, so what are the relationships I need to bring around my family in order to solve this problem? I'm struggling with an addiction. I've told people a little bit about it, but they have an idea of what's going on. But what are the relationships that need to be put in place to have victory over it instead of just managing it? You see we often bring other people into our problems just enough to give us enough strength to manage it, to manage that thing that we might put a sin label on, say. You know, and we've, we've talked about how the action isn't sin. Sin is separation from God, that root problem that is causing those symptoms that we see as actions. If we don't think about it that way, we never really get into the truth of it. So what are the relationships that you need to put in place to get victory over that sin? That's what Jesus came for, you guys. To build relationships, to show us how to do them, and have us pull people into it and share that. There's a guy by the name of John Doerr. He's a venture capitalist. And he's backed things that we know well, things like Amazon, AOL, Google, big stuff, and lots of others. And during an interview at one point, somebody asked him, what do you look for when you're deciding where to place your bet, so to speak, when you're deciding where to put your investment, where to set your money down? and he said i <clears throat> he said i bet on teams he said some people would say they bet on people he says i bet on teams it's not just people but how these people work together in relationships because the one thing you know for sure when you go into a new venture capital deal is that you're going to have problems so you have to ask yourself are these the people that you want to face those problems with. One thing we know for sure in this life is we're gonna come across problems, no question. And if we think we've seen the worst of it, sometimes that's, we find out that another level's coming. Not always, but sometimes. <laughs> Who are we gonna meet those challenges with? Who are we going to turn to When that marriage that I have tried so desperately to hold together has fallen apart and there's nothing I can do about it? Where are we going to turn to when my child refuses to see how God really sees them and the value that's in them and makes choices that tear my heart out as a parent? Who am I going to live life with? Who am I going to turn to and say, I need you to work, walk through this with me? Who am I going to be there for when they hit those roads? When somebody says, hey, you got a minute? Can we go get a cup of coffee? Jesus bet on teams. Because none of us were meant to walk this road alone. And in this group of people, I have to say, guys, we're one of the most relational churches I've ever run across. But we need to spread that outside these four walls. We need to embrace the people that every now and then we find ourselves just, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for you. I've got too much going on. And I'm terrible about that. I get very tunnel vision. This is what my day looks like. I have this to accomplish. Don't mess up my schedule. It's the clock is ticking. But I need to look up and say, God, does this keep coming back? Because I need to pay attention here. Not everything does require your attention. We're not capable of that. We can't give attention to everything. But what are my assignments for that attention? Who are the people that I'm supposed to be pulling into my relationships? Who are the people that I need to be encouraging others to pull into their relationships and tell them, you can do this. You've got more to give than you know you do. Obviously, there's something Or they wouldn't be seeking you out. There's something you have that draws them in. It comes back to that value thing that was talked about earlier. That value that says, I know God has placed value on me. And I need to place value on others the way he does. And I need to see my own value enough to know that I can do that. Isn't that sometimes our our little trip up there? We say, yeah, but what can they get from me? My goodness, I've got so far to go. I'm working on so many things. Yeah, yeah. And quite possibly you've worked on a couple of the factors that they're looking at right now. And there's no better driver to getting close to God than looking behind you and realizing (laughs) somebody's following me follow me as i follow christ okay god i'm 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 following you i'm following jesus i'm headed that direction because otherwise this person's going to run right up over me and i don't want to be the reason that they don't keep going forward it's still pretty early but we got this a little bit early, too. and I didn't want to just belabor everything this morning. We're going to go more in-depth on this in these Wednesday nights. On this and on other aspects of it. More principles, more part of that. But for us here today, ask God what it is you need to have connection. Do you need to create some connections? Or do you need to help some of the connections you already have be more healthy? And maybe you need to do both. Maybe you kind of need to get some connections healthy so you can create new connections. Only God can tell you those pieces and other relationships that you have in your life. They can help you identify that stuff. They can go, yeah, yeah, I know what you need. I've watched you with so-and-so, and you need to give just a little bit more attention there. If you'd like prayer, that's fine. Go ahead and come on up. Yeah. If anybody would like prayer towards this today, we're happy to pray with you. Because this is more in depth than we even know. Because we live this in our lives so often that we don't think much about it. But I'm telling you what, you step out of these four walls, you go to other places, not every other church, but a lot of other churches, and it's not like that. We need to share.